Good morning. Welcome to Capital City Christian Church. If you will stand and worship with us this morning. Go ahead and have a seat and watch this video. TikTokers who think they're famous, but nobody knows who they are, part one. Just you. Just me. Baby, let's move. What? Can you teach me how to juggle? You know why? Because all the girls love me. All I need is a beat that's super bumping. And for you, you, you to back it up and dump it. Yeah. Put your arms out front. Lean side to side. Town, down. 
Wait, 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 wait. Next. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. We can't show a video about people who are TikTok famous unless you feature the TikTok famous student minister here in Frankfort, Kentucky. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's right. Last fall, when I first learned about TikTok, I immediately jumped on board so I could learn how to do things like hit the whoa with my students on stage while in the middle of a message. But you know, TikTok has been all over the news, all over social media. When it first uh, came out, people thought, man, is this China attacking us and getting through to our students and using it as a weapon? And then TikTok is going away. TikTok's back. TikTok's going away. But then early this morning, they announced TikTok is back and it's here to stay. So I'm excited that it is going to be part of our student ministry here. You know, and if you have a middle school or high school student, I would encourage you to learn about this tool because if I say chicken wing, chicken wing, chicken and macaroni, there we go. So we have a crowd this morning that knows about TikTok. So there's many things you will do for your kids. There's things I will do for your students. But one thing I won't do, I won't die for them. You see, there's only one person willing to do that. There's only one person that's willing to be called Father. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. So over the next 65 minutes, we're going to sing songs together. We're going to pray together. We have an opportunity to celebrate this awesome God that we get to call Father. Stand if you're able and join us as we sing to our awesome God.
Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We live here today for him, in his name, for his glory. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat? So, apparently I'm TikTok famous. You want to see my TikTok famous moves? That's it. Macaroni something? What was that? That was kind of weird. Chicken wings. And but I noticed my granddaughter was getting all excited. That was cool. So last week was about, why do I care? Why do you care? Why should they care? I mean, it's like we're pretty much obsessed with this Jesus, right? We kind of wrap our lives around him. And, and it boiled down to this. Jesus made these outrageous promises, kind of promises that if he could keep them, would be worth, well, just about anything to be on the receiving end. He said, if, I, if you follow me, I'm going to give you a way better life in this world, and I'm going to give you an infinitely better life in the next. Well, what if? And he coupled those with some outrageous demands. Basically, he said, you're going to have to give up everything. You've got to be willing to give up everything for me. You've got to put me first in everything, which would be ludicrous, unless that was the way to receive those promises. And unless, and this is the biggest one, he made the most outrageous claim conceivable. Jesus actually claimed to be God. He claimed to be a creator. What if it's true? What if he really is God? Which would mean, I think, that he can actually keep his promises, and it would mean that his demands would be eminently reasonable. And guys, that's why we have to rebuild this church. Because we believe it's true. We believe him. I believe I need Jesus, you need Jesus, and they need Jesus. Do you believe that? And God gave us a job to do, to bring them face to face with Jesus and to drag each other to heaven. So that was what last week was about. This week, why did he come? Why would Jesus, why would God take the form of one of us and then let us kill him? Why would the all-powerful creator God go that low even to die for the likes of you and me? Now, Steve Clark showed me this T-shirt, so I had to get one. My preaching partner thought it might offend some of you guys. I figured, okay, because you've got to admit it's funny. Are you ready? Here it is, right? You got it? Guns don't kill people. Grandpas with pretty granddaughters do. And I've got two of them. And my granddaughter's boyfriend, Sawyer, is sitting right next to her, and he has seen this shirt before. You dads and you grandpas get it. I think you mamas and you grandmas get it too. There's something about our kids and our grandkids Unless something is badly broken, there's something inside a parent, inside of a grandparent, we want to protect our kids. We want to rescue them if they're in trouble. We'd like to think that we would risk our lives to save our kids, wouldn't you? Come on, parents, grandparents, honestly, would you die for your kid? Don't you hope that you love them that much, that selflessly? I hope so. I can tell you that one of the hardest years of my life was 2003. On March the 19th, 2003, my son Andy was stationed in Kuwait, getting ready to cross over into Iraq. The next day, March 20th, he and thousands of others of our kids launched the attack that was a response to 9-11 and to prevent more terror. Incredibly, I got a call from my son Andy the night before. I was glued to the TV because Iraq was launching missiles at our bases where my son was. 
And Andy said to me, I'm okay, Doc. None of their missiles have hit our base. We can see the Patriots knocking them down, but we're okay. I cannot describe for you the emotions that I had as a dad with a kid in harm's way. If I could have traded places with him at that moment, I would have. If I could have been by his side just to protect him, if I could, I would have. Would have been stupid. Andy was young and strong and trained, and I was none of that. But he was my kid. It was a hard year. I don't know how many parents that I have told something like this. You've got to trust God. You've got to entrust your kids to God. He loves your kids way more than you do. The kind of anxiety that you're showing right now is not God-honoring. Bottom line, I'm a hypocrite. That year, I was mastered by the sins of anxiety and worry and fear. Every single morning, every morning, I'd check the news to see where the fighting was and whether my son was near it. Every night, exactly the same. It was my kid. What made it way worse, way worse, was that that was a very dark time for my son spiritually. He was not doing life with God, for God, God's way. And I feared that if he died, his would be more than just a physical death. I feared that I would never see him again, ever. It's a hard year for me. What if? What if God loves my son as much as I do? It's stupid, actually. What if God loves my son infinitely more than I do? I wanted to protect him. I wanted to save him if I could. I think unless I'm fooling myself, which I might be, I'd like to think I'd have taken his place and died for him. Wouldn't you, for your kid? What if God would do the same? What if God loves your kid and your grandkid as much as he loves mine? He does, you know. In fact, what if God loves your kid or your grandkid infinitely more than you do? Because he does, you know. And what if your drive to protect your kid, to rescue your kid, to save your kid is simply an echo of the image of God in you? What if he feels the same even more powerfully than you do? And don't forget, guys, you're someone's kid. You're someone's grandkid. And guys, I hope that you are loved like that. I really do. I hope that you've experienced the kind of love that someone would have done anything to protect you, to rescue you, to save you, even to die for you. If you've never experienced that kind of love, I hurt for you. I hurt for what you have missed. What if that really is who God is and what he thinks of you and how far he would go to rescue you? Because you are not just God's creation, you're God's kid. Once you get that, the cross is not all that hard to understand. Why he came is not that difficult to understand. Here's what Jesus said. Now, you've got to listen to the words. We read them sometimes, we don't really listen. Jesus said, may these Jesus followers experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And here's the big part. It's coming up. It's in yellow. And may the world know that you love them, you guys, as much as Jesus says you love me. Did you hear that? May the world know that God loves us as much as he loves his own son. Then look at this one. It makes sense now. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve others. And I came to give my life as a ransom for many, which is perfectly sensible because that's what a good parent would do. What would you do to protect, to rescue, to save your kid? And guys, God thinks you need rescue. You may not see that yet, but God's way smarter than you are. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, you may be pushing back. Or maybe you didn't have a dad or a mom who loved you that much. I wish you had. 
Maybe you yourself have never felt a love that powerfully for your kids or your grandkids that you wish you had. If you've never tasted that kind of love, something is broken because you were meant to. And maybe it's just literally inconceivable for you that the God of the universe, if there really is one, that the creator God of this big universe would actually feel that kind of love for someone as insignificant, as unworthy as you are. And you're looking around and thinking, I just don't see it. Well, I want to show you something that's absolutely incredible. You ready? There are two covenants in our Bible, two testaments. We call it the Old Testament, the New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. They're actually two parts of the same story, kind of like Act 1 and Act 2. And there's something huge that shifts in our understanding of God from Act 1 to Act 2. Now, this is kind of how God followers viewed God in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Most English Bibles, not all, but the vast majority, they do it the same way. Let me show you. Old Covenant says, don't miss the, use the name of the Lord, your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Be careful with the name of God. Now, other than the fact that it's yellowed, see anything strange about the way that it's spelled? We touched on it last week. The word Lord has all capital letters in your Old Testament. It's that way all over your Old Testament. Not always, but usually. Want to know why? Because if you're reading the Hebrew, not the English, it was written in Hebrew, Hebrew would not have the word Lord here. That actually have four letters. Y-H-W-H. It would have the name of God, Yahweh. Do you remember Moses and the burning bush? God says to Moses, well, I want you to go rescue my people. So Moses says, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them, Yahweh, I am, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered. Perfectly honest, we're not absolutely sure what Yahweh means. We're not even sure how to pronounce it exactly because they stopped saying it. It was too holy to be spoken by human lips. Some people think it was pronounced something like Jehovah, maybe something like Yahweh. Probably means something like I will be or I am the one who is or I am the one who causes everything to be. But at its root, it simply means something like I am. God says, my name is I am. And the Jews came to understand that the name of God was too holy to be spoken with human lips. These lips say all kinds of awful things. How can you even say the name of God without defiling it? And so whenever they saw the name of God in the old covenant, Yahweh, they would simply write Adonai, Lord and so in your Old Testament, every time that the name of God appears, they just write Lord in all capital letters. And you know it's not the word Adonai, Lord. You know it's the name of God. Now, did you know that by the time of Jesus, just saying the word like I have done several times this morning would be enough to get me executed? I could be killed just for saying the word Yahweh. You didn't even have to say anything disrespectful about the name of God. You just had to say the name. It was too holy for your lips. According to the Talmud, their law code, if a man was accused of saying God's name, there'd be a trial. <clears throat> the witnesses who heard the name actually spoken would testify to what they had heard, but they wouldn't actually say the name in open court. Then they would clear the court and the judges would ask just the chief witness to, to say exactly what he heard. And the chief witness would say the name. And the judges would tear their clothes, and they could never, ever be repaired again, patched. And they would take the blasphemer out, and they'd knock him into a pit. And the witnesses would take these huge stones and drop them onto the person trying to kill them. And after the blasphemer was dead, his body would be hanged because you don't mess with the name of God. Only one time a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter to the Holy of Holies and he'd fall flat on his face and he would dare whisper the holy name of God. 
Now it's against that backdrop that Jesus started teaching. And what Jesus did in the new covenant was revolutionary. Apparently he would go off to pray sometimes by himself, sometimes the disciples would tag along and apparently there was something about how Jesus prayed that was just captivating to them because one time the disciples found him praying and they said, Jesus, please teach us to pray. And it's hard to put into words what happened next, the kind of emotions that must have coursed through the disciples of what happened next because with Jesus' first word, he changed the face of God. This was the shift. Jesus said, when you pray to the all-holy, transcendent, all-powerful God, don't call him Yahweh, call him Abba. Call him Abba. I want you to think of the almighty, all-holy God as Abba, as Father. That no longer knocks our socks off, maybe because it's just no longer real to us. That was a revolutionary word. The disciples knew the scriptures. They knew the words of Moses who had spoken to God in the burning bush and up on Mount Sinai. They knew the words of David who composed so many of their prayers, the Psalms. They knew the words of the prophets who had such a profound intimacy with God. Moses never dared address God like Jesus did. David never dared address God like Jesus told us to. The prophets never dared approach God like Jesus taught us to. They were fully aware of the perfect holiness of God, the awesome power of God, his transcendence, his otherness. But no Jew, no Jew had ever dared address God in the unique way that Jesus taught you and I to pray. <clears throat> Abba, Father, Dad, even more than that, Daddy. Listen, guys, if you took all of the goodness and the kindness and the patience and the fidelity and the tenderness and the strength and the love of the very best of us and wrapped it up all into a single person, he'd only be the faintest shadow of the Abba God who's in this room loving on his kids right now. Believe that? So the Apostle Paul says this. He says, don't be cowering, fearful slaves, you guys. Behave instead like God's own children, adopted into God's own family, calling him Abba, Father, Daddy. We are told that the average American baby begins to speak sometimes between the ages of 14 and 18 months. Now, my grandkids were saying Papa at about six months, okay? But the average grandkids start forming words somewhere between 14 and 18 months. And regardless of the sex of the child, their first word is ordinarily something like dad-da, dad-di. A little Jewish child speaking Aramaic in the first century Palestine at the time of the historical Jesus, about that age, would begin to say ba-ba, abba. Can you see why the revelation of Jesus on the nature of God is so revolutionary? What Jesus teaches us is that the God in whose presence Moses had to remove his shoes, the God who spoke the galaxies into existence, the God beside whom the beauty of the Grand Canyon is a faint shadow, the God beside whom all the military power our world can muster is like a cap gun, Jesus teaches us to address that infinite, all-holy, powerful, transcendent God with baby talk, with the same intimacy, familiarity, and unshaken trust of an 18-month-old baby sitting on daddy's lap, Abba. Did you know that there are only little kids in heaven? One of the great Bible scholars, a guy named Joachim Jeremias, said that this four-letter word, A-B-B-A, is the primary, most revolutionary contribution of Jesus to our understanding of God. If you'd been a Jewish father going off to work in Jesus' day, quite possibly one of your kids would have looked up and said, Shalom, Abba. 
So you can imagine the shock and the scandal that Jesus caused when he invited people like you and me to address the infinite, holy, transcendent God with the same words their kid had used with them that morning. Pharisees called him a blasphemer, a seducer of the people. Jesus wouldn't budge. He said, when you pray, when you pray, guys, you say, Abba. Because of Jesus, no Christian can picture God anymore as simply the uncreated creator, the unmoved mover, the transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. He is all that. No Christian can picture God as the great judge in the sky or the cosmic snoop who's looking for an opportunity to wreak vengeance whenever we mess up. No Christian can picture God as distant or remote or uninvolved. Jesus said he's Abba, he's dead. So he said we should behave like it, like God's children adopted into his family, calling him Abba, Daddy. Now listen, guys, listen. If you really believe that, would it make a difference in your relationship with God? Bible says God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. And now you can call God Abba. You're no longer a slave. You're God's own child. And since you're his child, everything he has belongs to you. Believe that? Will make a difference in your relationship with God when you come to embrace God as your dad. And guys, doesn't that explain why he came? Our dad, our dad saw that we were in trouble. We may not see it yet, but he sees. And a good dad would die to protect or to rescue or to save his kids if that's what it takes. Christians, you are not just people of God, you're the children of Abba. My name is Stephen Patterson and I am a son of Abba. My primary identity is not the son of Walton K. Patterson, not the husband of Julie, father of Alethea and Andy, grandfather of Morgan, Stephen, Jackson, Aubrey, and Caden. I am not primarily the minister of Capital City Christian Church, friend to most of you, I hope. I'm a son of Abba. I'm not ex-professor, ex-coach, current hunk and jock. I'm a son of my Abba. Shouldn't that make a difference with my God? Shouldn't that make a difference with the way I pray to my God? to, whether you're eight years old, 18, 38, 58, 88, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian, you are a child of Abba. You are Abba's kid. That's the way the God who is in this room with us right now at this moment thinks of you. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died for us because God doesn't just think of himself as our creator he sees himself as our dad and a dad would do anything to protect to rescue to save his kids he'd even die for them right I know that's hard to process even harder to buy that God the creator God would see us as kids as his messed up troubled kids that he would do anything short of sin anything short of forcing himself on us to save us. You dads get that. You understand it. Listen to how the Apostle Paul put it. He said, even before God made the world, even before in the beginning, God loved us and he chose us who are in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now you parents get that, right? Before your kid is ever born, you choose to love him. Your grandparents, before your grandkid is ever born, you know she's going to be perfect, right? I did. And that was God. 
He's not just our creator. Paul says God decided, he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, through that cross. That's what God wanted to do, and that's what gave him great pleasure. I mean, when you get all excited about that kid that's coming, even before he's born, that's the image of God in you. God knew what was coming. Every parent does, right? He knew the messes that we would create. He knew the heartaches that we would cause. He knew how much it would cost to save us. Because he gave us the greatest gift he could. He gave us the freedom to choose. To choose for him or against him. To choose to love him back or to choose to push him away. Because only those who can choose can love. So God didn't create pawns to move around on some cosmic chessboard. God didn't create robots programmed to love him or not. He created you. He created us in his image. Of all the creatures of this earth, we humans are the ones created in his image. He created us to be different. So we think differently. We see beauty as no other creature on earth can and ugliness. Of all the creatures of this earth, we are hybrids. We stand with one foot in the physical world and the other foot in the spiritual world. We know there's more to this world than just the physical. And of all of God's creatures, we were the ones to whom God gave the gift of freedom to choose for him or against him, to choose evil or good, to love God or push him away. And God gave us that freedom knowing that we would choose badly a lot. He gave us that freedom knowing the messes that we were going to make, knowing what it would cost him to clean up that mess. And he gave us that gift anyway. You know why? Because that's what love requires. You get it. Your parents get it. Your grandparents get it. I know that some of you guys had your kid by accident, right? Passion of the moment or the failure of whatever you use for birth control. So for some of you, your reaction was something like that, right? For most of you, I hope it was something like this. Even though you knew, you knew your child was going to cost you sleep, cost you money, cost you pain, you did it anyway. Because you wanted a child to love on, a child to love you back, you hope. And when you have that child, you die for him or her, I hope. We're driven to love because that's the image of God in us. And then maybe even more inexplicably, many of you guys have child number two. You should know better. Ladies, don't you remember the things you said to your husband during the first year birth kid? First kid? Don't you remember the pain? You know this time about the extra weight, the lost sleep, the boatload of money, the heartaches that your kid is going to bring. They always do. Always. And you actually choose to have child number two. How crazy is that? That image of God in us. Some of you guys actually have kids four, five, and six. In fact, some of you guys who can't have kids of your own actually adopt them or foster them. How crazy is that? You know it's going to be hard. You know that any time you open yourself up to love somebody, you also open yourself up to pain, right? But it's worth it because we are driven to love. It's part of the image of God in us. <laughs> See, God gave us that freedom to choose because only with that freedom to choose could we experience the love that he wants to show us, and only with that freedom to choose could we actually love him back. He knew what we're going to do. He knew what we would do with our freedom. He knew the messes that our freedom would cause, and he knew what it would cost for him to clean up those messes. And he birthed us anyway. Guys, that's why he came. That's why Jesus came to protect and to rescue and to save his kids. Because even before God made the world, 
He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, to be his kids by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. It's what God wanted to do and it what brings him great pleasure, Paul says. How far would a parent go to find and protect and rescue or save his kids? And Jesus showed us how far a parent would go. Now, I know, guys, that this is hard for some of you all because maybe your experience of dad has not been a good one. And the whole idea that God is some cosmic dad in the sky is kind of scary to you. Please don't let it be. Try to imagine the perfect dad. That's what God wants you to envision. Some of you guys are parents. You should know that the way that you parent, the way that you dad, the way that you mom is either going to open your kids up to God or drive them away from him. We have a job to do. He's our model. And some of you guys, maybe you've never seen God that way because you've never pictured the real God. You've never pondered how far your dad would go for you. Sounds too much like a fairy tale, too good to be true. But guys, this is the real Jesus. You need to embrace him. You need to let him in. He wants to do life with you. And guys, every single one of you, I suspect, knows somebody who needs this Jesus, don't you? He loves them too. We have a job to do. The next few minutes, we're going to have a family meal together. We're going to sing a song. And these are times to get right with God. If you've never experienced God as your dad, let's get it done. That's the real God, and you need him. If you're a Jesus follower and you've never, you don't have that kind of relationship with God, then you've got some work to do. That's who he is. It's who he wants to be. He proved it with this. He went to a cross. This is how far he would go for you. This is what he thinks of you. He said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. He says, when you eat this bread, week after week after week, you remember what I did for you. You remember what I think of you. Broken for you, let's eat it together. And in that last meal with his disciples, he took a cup. That cup had wine in it, but Jesus said, not anymore, not for you guys. He says, when you drink this cup, think of it as my blood, Jesus says, which is shed for you. That's what I think of you. That's how much I care for you. So when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death, and you remember, this is what I think of you, you remember that someday we're going to eat this together at my table. This is a family meal. Would you drink this with us? If you're not a Christian, guys, not a God follower yet, that's where life starts. It starts in this world and it starts in the next. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's not an oppressive thing. That's how much he loves you. If you're not a Jesus follower yet, we need to talk. We've got an elder in the prayer room back there. He'd love to talk to you. I'm going to sit right down here in the front. During the next song or two, if you want to come up and chat with me, or if you want to come down here after the service, I'd love to chat with you. If you want to make Capital City your home, let's talk. We'll kind of drag each other to heaven. And if you're a Jesus follower and you don't understand God to love you that much, you need to break down the walls of your heart. You need to think about the real God and the kind of life he wants to do with you. Let's pray together. Father Jesus, we we give you thanks for Jesus, for what he has done for us. It just blows our minds. 
Father, for those in this room that are not right with you, we just pray that you'll rattle their hearts. If they are not Jesus followers yet, convict them of the truth of your love for them and their need for you. And help them to make that choice to start that path with you. And for all of the Jesus followers in this room who don't have that kind of a loving relationship with you, Father, just break through our hardness and help us to understand what your heart really looks like. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Are you excited to be in the Father's house today? Are you excited that you get to call him Father? That's awesome. Go ahead and have a seat for us for just a moment. 
Before you go out today, we do have announcements that we'd like to share with you. Right after this service, just immediately following it, we're going to be over in the Student Worship Center for a parent information meeting. So if you have a middle school or high school student in your home and you'd like more information about what we're going to be doing this fall, this winter, some plans that we might even have for 2021, I would love to talk with you, introduce you to some of our small group leaders that work with your student. Uh, we do have a lunch, a light refreshment available for you. Uh, so that'll begin close to 1230, just as soon as I can get over there from here and get that set up. Also coming up this Saturday is our Kingdom Worker Day. Here at Capital City, one of our core values is to serve. And we love working with our students and showing them what it means to be a kingdom worker. So we're going to be here at Capital City Christian Church this Saturday starting at 9 a.m. Uh, to 12. We'll be working both inside and hopefully outside, weather permitting. We'll break for lunch. I'll provide lunch for those students, and then we'll resume from 1 to 4. So we'll be working across the campus here at Capital City doing some cleanup, fix-up projects. Uh, for service. Also coming up in just a few weeks, just next month, we have Trunk or Treat. Now you might be asking me, next gen, how in the world are you going to do Trunk or Treat in the midst of a pandemic? Well, we're actually going to be utilizing the word trunk. So we're asking you to prepare to decorate your car, your truck, your bicycle, whatever you have available to you that you could pull up and be part of something special we're actually going to utilize the trunk part of Trunk or Treat, and we'll have more information coming up on that for you. Also, we need candy. I don't know if you've ever noticed around Capital City, but we just start asking you all to bring candy as much as you can, mostly because our staff, we love to enjoy that candy just as much as we can. But we want to make sure we have plenty in supply for all the kids that are going to be coming through at Trunk or Treat. So you'll notice as you leave the worship center this morning, we actually have the trunk set out that collects the candy each year. We're going to have that set out each uh, Sunday for you to start bringing those supplies of candy, and we would love for you to do that. Hope you have a great morning fellowshipping. Yes, sir. Oh, sorry, Doc. And here's Doc. This is Janet Brock. You probably have seen her before if you've been around here because she was actually on screen a week or so ago telling her story. But Janet wants to make Capital City her home. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Which she actually has already done. It's kind of cool. She's volunteering everywhere. It's so neat. Neat lady. But I, I tell you, to be part of this church family, it's fairly simple. He's the king of your life, and you want us to be your family. You're welcome here. So I'm going to ask her to make that confession of faith that kind of binds us all together. This is what binds us together. Are you ready? I believe. I believe. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living God. Son of the living God. My Lord and my Savior. My Lord and my Savior. Welcome to our family. Thank you, sweetheart.